my throat. Oh, have mercy, babe. I hope you don't mind. Let me clear my throat. Hey, welcome everybody. It's your boy, Big Angry, AKA Angry Man, AKA Tony, AKA Big Tony, AKA that dude right there. Hey, AKA is the GameStop guy. AKA what's up boy? So I want to welcome all y'all to episode one. Actually, this is episode zero of the I'll Get Better Later, I Promise podcast. And so what we're going to do today is kind of a rough run through, an introduction, formatting, housekeeping issues, and all that good stuff. We're not going to waste no time. We're going to get right into it and let's see what we do. So why am I doing this podcast, (laughs) y'all? That's the question I'm asking myself. I really have a lot of strong opinions, a lot of hot takes, a lot of things that I post on social media that don't always get the best reception because I don't get to really express myself due to character limitations and self-censorship and all these things. And so I wanted to have a platform where I can expound on these ideas, have it detached from me personally, from the people that know me and have this presented as something that the world can see. So what I'm gonna do is Each episode, I plan on doing five topics, Um, and I chose to do it on current events, which could be anything from what's going on with the election, celebrity news, gossip, entertainment, riots, protests, Black Lives Matter, whatever. And so I just want to kind of get a chance to really get into that, break it down from my perspective, and give it to y'all. The next thing is going to be hip-hop. I was born in the 80s, raised in the 90s. Hip-hop is my blood. So I'm definitely going to talk about hip-hop. And I can do anything with that from a top five list of my favorite MCs or album reviews or talk about somebody beefing or whatever it may be that's going on in hip-hop at that moment. I might just, you know, drop a track that I made. I don't know. That's the whole point of this. I'll figure it out as I go along. And y'all get to come along on that ride with me. So hopefully it's enjoyable and we get to do this and... It goes on for a while. The next thing that we're going to talk about is science, tech, gadgets, games, all that kind of good stuff. Y'all know me. Those that know me uh, know that I'm into science and tech and gadgets and all that good shit. So I'm going to talk about that. Then we have a personal choice, which is just me. I'll freestyle and talk about whatever I want to talk about. I might talk about wrestling. I might talk about women. I might talk about food. I might talk about my life. It's just a chance for me to riff and kind of just connect with y'all on a deeper level and really get to, you know, give y'all a flavor, a piece of my flavor, a taste of me. Pause. <laughs> and then the last uh, topic is going to be a comment suggestion. Of course, there's no comments being that this is episode zero, so I'm a freestyle again and get to talk about myself or whatever I want to talk about. But hopefully in the future going forward, there'll be people who actually listen to this thing for some reason and find reasons to comment and suggest things that they want me to talk about. And that's what I'm going to do in this section here. So the last section is going to be the comment suggestions. Being that this is episode zero, I figured it's only right that I introduce myself to all y'all. My name's Tony. I'm 35 at the moment I'm recording this. I am a single dad of a wonderful mostly 11 year old daughter uh i am african-american i am 
heterosexual. I am a hip hop head. I am a gamer. I am a black nerd. I am all these things. And I would like to express those points of views that don't always get presented to the world. So that's what this is going to be today. Um, I do have some topics prepared and I'm going to get into those shortly. We're going to kind of see how it goes. And so the first topic that I got for y'all today is the matriarchy. Yeah, I'm going there. First episode. See if I can get canceled, y'all. <laughs> so when I talk about the matriarchy, what I'm talking about is the fact that African-American women have been placed in a position of being the heads of household in what appears to be the majority of households, at least the majority of households that I know and that I'm experienced with dealing with. I feel as though this dynamic has caused a lot of tension within the African-American community. It's a very sensitive subject. It's not something that gets talked about a lot, but I feel that it may be one of the most important issues that we really need to figure out a way to address and to get through. Um, So the matriarchy, the matriarchy is when the head of household is a female. So anytime that you're looking at it from a perspective of the woman as the head of the family on down, that's a matriarchy. If it was the male as the head of the household, it's a patriarchy. Um, A lot of the American culture, most societies tend to have a more patriarchal or male dominated uh, family structure. But due to various reasons, I believe that uh, the African-American community has drifted more towards a matriarchy. And that matriarchy has caused tension between African-American men and women. So when I say that, I feel as though for several generations, African-American women have been forced to raise kids without fathers present. They've grown up in households without a man in the house. And so the only person that they've ever seen really be there for them and do things for them is the mother. Um, You see it talked about on the news and people talk about it in different uh, venues and different platforms where you hear people talk about single moms. I was raised by a single mom. A lot of my friends were raised by single moms. A lot of my friends now are single moms. And so it's something that's very dear to me and I'm not saying this in any kind of a negative way or to disparage women especially my African-American sisters. I love y'all. Y'all drive me nuts, but I still love y'all dearly. And I'm an ally to y'all, and I have nothing but y'all best interests at heart when I say these things. So if y'all find me to be misguided or wrong, check your boy in a respectful way, just like I'll be respectful when I come at y'all. But this dynamic of women being the heads of households has caused them to take on characteristics that are normally attributed to the male in the relationship or the male in the household, the dad role and the, the, the attitude that dads normally have and the vibes that dads normally have are now being transferred to women. Women are the primary earners in a lot of the African-American households. They earn more than men a lot of times. They're better educated than the male counterparts a lot of times. And it has caused a perception of males being weak 
and the characteristics that women are seeking, they tend to seek from guys who have the image of strength as opposed to actual strength. And when I say that, I mean, you know, the thugs, the gangsters, the, the dope boys or whatever, you know? Because these guys are the heads of their scenario, their world. So when women see that, that's what they're looking for. They want to have, and they desire to have that strong male presence, that, that alpha male that everybody talks about. And when they see that energy, it's normally projected from these guys who are not settled down in a relationship where they have a woman who has that head of household mentality, who has kind of competed against them in that form where they have to acquiesce or to give in some of their natural instincts to keep the peace. So the men who are not trying to keep the peace, who are not trying to be there, who are not trying to work within the parameters of this new African-American dynamic of the family are the women that the men, are the men that the women are seeking. So let me try to go back and track that, backtrack and retrace that and say that better. The men that are staying, the men that are in relationships, the men that are, you know, family men, have been raised by single women in relationships with these strong-willed women. And that comes with a, a certain amount of tempering of your natural instincts to be that, that alpha male, that dominant leader, because you don't want to try to diminish the strength or the efforts that your woman has presented to you. But by the very act of you not dominating and taking over that position, it causes that same woman to look at you as a lesser man because she's already got all the, the male characteristics, the male attitude and tendencies, the testosterone and all that. So when you're not giving her that same energy, she feels like you're a bitch, for lack of a better term. And so when they see some male who is out there who's going through all the chicks and doing all the crazy shit, they're like, oh, that's a man. That's what I want. That's the energy that I don't have. And so they go after that. But those aren't the guys that are going to be there. Those aren't the guys that are really in for the long haul. And so women get with those guys. They get dogged out by those guys. And they say, well, all guys ain't shit. And so the guys that are there have to deal with the leftovers and pick up the pieces from these guys. And now the women are hurt and they can't trust and they can't love. And now they they aren't able to open up and allow those men who do want to be there, who do want to work with them and try to give them that respect that they have earned. It makes it a conflict between those two forces because the man, even though he's willing to take a step back and allow the woman to be a little bit more dominant than a traditional uh, relationship would be, they, they somehow along the way get characterized as weak for doing that. Now, that's my take on it. You may have a completely different opinion, but that's just where I'm at with it. Um, as far as solutions, it's not going to be something that's fixed in our generation, in my opinion. It might be something that's fixed in the next generation or maybe the generation after that. Just like this problem wasn't created overnight, it's not going to be fixed overnight. So we have to find a way to work with each other, get through this time where it's crazy for everybody. A man want to be a man, a woman wants to be the man. You know, everybody's fighting for that position. But it's easy when you're going through that struggle to turn each other into the enemy 
And it shouldn't be that way because we should be a team as a man and a woman, especially in a world where African-Americans aren't treated with the same care, the same respect, the same justice that other races are. So we don't have the system watching our back and then we can't even have each other's backs. So I don't have the answers on how to fix it other than we have to just learn to to love each other and to, to, to work with each other and to be better to each other than what we've been. Men, we have a tendency to dog women out, uh, trash them behind their backs and talk about them for being in the, trying to be strong women and all that kind of stuff. And just like women have a tendency to trash men. So we have to figure out a way to, to be more constructive with the conversations that we're having towards and about each other and to be more understanding of each other's wants, needs, flaws, shortcomings, and strengths and weaknesses. I don't know. All right, y'all still with me? I want to talk to y'all right now about technology. So hopefully this will be a little bit less controversial and I don't get any death threats. So technology, the big thing right now is I feel humans are becoming or have already become cyborgs. And what I mean by that is we have our physical, organic, flesh and bone self that we're born with and we are used to, that humans have been as long as humans have been humans. And now we have a digital self. And our digital self is just as real, just as impactful as our physical selves are becoming. And the way that we interact with the world with our digital selves primarily is through our devices, namely our cell phones. We take them everywhere with us. We do everything on them from shopping to communicating to finding love to buying, you know, anything. You can get anything online and we access it all through our phones primarily. Kids are using cell phones from two, three years old, younger than that. They were basically born with technology and devices. Babies have tablets now and they know how to use them. I've seen it myself. It's crazy, but it's true. And our cell phones are an expression of ourselves. We buy cases to designs and all these different things to express ourselves with our phones because it's a part of ourselves. Our personality is expressed through our phones with our phone covers and the screens that we put on there, our ringtones. You know, if you leave your phone at home, you feel as though you've left a part of yourself and in a way you have because it's become such a part of us. And this is the first time in human history that it's ever been this way. So we're the first, we're the guinea pigs for, for the future. In the years to come, 10, 20, 100 years from now, they're going to look back at this moment in time where people have become not just flesh and blood, but now we're ones and zeros. We're part of the matrix. What's real and what's not. Some people spend more time online now than they do off. You know, whether it's on Facebook or Twitter or YouTube or working. Our kids are now doing school online. Um, So we spend a a good portion of our lives more than ever before, not in the flesh and blood world, but in the digital world. And we carry this technology with us that allows us to interact with this digital world. Without it, we are detached from that digital world. So we're not our full selves without that device. And 
I don't think people are really aware of how dependent we have become on our phones. Even travel, you know, if you live in a city where you're not driving everywhere, you're catching an Uber or whatever, you don't have a phone, you're SOL, buddy. (laughs) You can't even get from point A to point B without your phone anymore. You know, we pay for our stuff with our phones. So it has definitely become almost a necessity to be a fully immersed member of society, to be fully functional. You have to have a phone. The better your phone, the better access you have to different apps and things, platforms that I might not be able to access if I don't have a good enough phone. So it becomes a status symbol. It becomes, you know, muscles. It becomes bigger boobs, bigger butts. It's the same kind of thing. Oh, I got a six inch phone. Oh, you only got a five inch phone or I got an iPhone, you got an Android, so on and so forth. It has become, you know, uh, that kind of a thing. I don't know if it's good or bad, but it's definitely a thing. So I'm curious to see where that goes in the future. Um, I don't know what else to say about this topic. I think that's kind of where I'm at. Oh, I do have something else to say. Maybe I'll edit that. Maybe I won't. It's the first episode, baby. Episode zero. Um, What I wanted to say was about Neuralink, which is a technology that is being developed right now. This technology is being developed by the one and only Mr. Elon Musk, our modern day Tesla, our modern day Einstein, our real life Tony Stark's Iron Man, uh, our South African Black Panther. (laughs) Rest in peace, Chadwick, no disrespect. Rest in peace, rest in power. But uh, the concept behind Neuralink is this technology will allow people to interact with the digital world that I was just talking about without the need to have that phone anymore is the next level of immersion into the matrix. Instead of having to pick up your phone, unlock it, go to a browser, type in a website, tap on what you want, all that kind of good stuff, wait for it to pop up on your screen, the Neuralink is already embedded in your head. So what this is, is a, a subcranial implant device. I'm sure I butchered that. Basically, let me say it in layman's terms. It's a device that they'll put inside of your skull, done by a robot. People won't even be doing this. That's how futuristic and sci-fi this technology is. They can't even trust humans to do it because you have to be so precise, it has to be done by robots. But they drill a hole, a small hole in your head, insert this neural mesh, I believe is what it's called. A neural lace is the term that he used. But it goes on top of your brain, connects to certain points or whatever. I don't know how it works. If I knew how it works, I would have been a billionaire. But uh, once this device is inside of your head, it connects to a receiver that connects to a device. And basically, you become the mouse and the keyboard and the phone, the screen, all that for the internet. You don't have to use these other devices anymore because the internet will be inside of you. I don't know if this is the best thing that's happening to humans or if this is the the prequel to the Terminators and we're being cast in the live action remake. I guess time will turn, uh, time will tell how that turns out. We're all here for the ride. What's that you say? It's time to see if I can get canceled. 
All right, here you go. <laughs> Yo, all right, so I'm going to touch on the subject that is going to piss people off. I already know it's going to piss people off. It's not my intention to piss people off, but it's genuinely something that I wanted to float out there and talk to y'all about. And the, the subject is the black vote. Historically, recent history, at least, African Americans have voted for the Democratic Party in record numbers, regardless of what candidate, regardless of the opposition, regardless of policies, regardless of past history, regardless of anything. There's not a lot that you can do or say to make a black person vote for a Republican candidate in general. I'm speaking in general. I know that black people are not a monolith. I know that black people can vote Republican or independent or whatever, but I'm speaking in the, the greater, broader, general sense. And there's nothing wrong with that. If that's how you feel and that's what you believe, bang with the Democrats. If you don't, bang with whoever you want to bang with, as long as you get out there and get your voice heard. But the topic that I want to talk about is how can the African-American community my community, my people, how can we make our relationship with the Democratic Party beneficial to us? And so I have some ideas and some suggestions on what we can do, what can be done to make this relationship mutually beneficial. And one of the ways that we can definitely make this happen is by withholding our votes or voting for the opposition. Maybe not this election with Trump where the stakes are so high as some people believe, but 2024, 2028, 2032, some point, we need to develop and articulate and refine and make it known what the black agenda is. What our community demands of our candidates, our elected officials that we vote for. What will we require them to do for our loyalty? What will we require them to do in exchange for our votes? What will we do to make them realize that they can't take our vote for granted? Uh, one of the most disgusting things that I've seen recently was the comment that Joe Biden made about, if you don't vote for me, you ain't black. Or if you vote for Trump, you ain't black. And it shows the arrogance and how much for granted people in power have taken the black vote for Democrats. And if we were to really come up with a agenda the same way that when the LGBTQ community wanted their rights, they came out with an agenda they clearly stated that we wanted the rights to equal marriage, equal marriage protection and protection from discrimination. They, that's what they wanted, that's what they went after, that's what they, they didn't get distracted with, oh, they defunded this or they did that. It was, we want this or else. And it got done. And I understand that it's a different struggle. I'm not trying to equate the LGBTQ struggle to the African American community and our struggles. But I'm using it as an example when there is a clear agenda, a clear goal, a clear objective, how powerful that can be when it comes to demanding what we want. 
And so what I wanted to do was just to maybe float out a couple of suggestions of things that would be on my black agenda if I were the person presenting that agenda. I would say that education is definitely high on that list, if not the top of the list. African, predominantly African-American schools are in large part, at least in my experience, in my life experience, have, are not funded, not cared for, not maintained at the same level that predominantly white or mixed schools are. The greater the percentage of African-American students, the lower the quality of education, the lower the, the, the amount of funds that they get, the older the equipment that they have, the less well-trained the staff that they're able to uh, not only uh, recruit, but to retain is. So that is something that a politician who really truly cares about the African-American community would have to address. Uh, healthcare is a major issue. Myself and 90% of the people that I know, uh, black and white, honestly, don't have healthcare. They can't afford it. If it's not something that's provided through their job, or they're on Medicaid or Medicare, they can't afford healthcare. If they can't afford their medication, if they can't afford to go to the doctor, they can't afford co-pays, they can't afford deductibles and all this kind of stuff. So addressing the, the gap in health is very high on my list. People are suffering needlessly with mental health and physical health issues that could be addressed if they had access to healthcare at the same level as their white counterparts or Asian or any other race counterparts. I would also want to address police brutality. We have seen very much in the past year, two years, five years, 10 years, 20 years, however far back you want to look, you can see that African-Americans have been targeted by police at a much higher rate than other races. Uh, they're sentenced to higher uh terms when they are sentenced to when they are arrested and sentenced they are treated less fairly they are less likely to have proper representation and it, it is something that has to change um it feeds back into my earlier point about the matriarchy a lot of it started with mass incarcerations uh mandatory minimum sentences three strike rules and things of that nature and even before that there were other factors that caused things that led to that so that is something that I would love to see and I would demand a politician to do or to be committed to working towards. And it's not just about a president. That's the other thing. We have to be more involved in our local politics. At the local level, the state level, all of it. It all matters. And the closer to home it is, the more it matters. So I think that not only when it's every four years and it's a presidential election and it's hot topics and you can get a bunch of likes by talking about Trump or Bush or Biden or whoever, uh, that's not the only time to really be engaged and be involved and be active and be informed. It's when it's time for the, electo the, the local elections, the, the mayors, the city councils, the, the school board. These are the people who make the decisions that affect our day-to-day -day lives, that make the decisions that our kids have to deal with that, that determine which school gets which money. And if we allow these people that we've been voting for for years and years and years to continue to do the same thing that they've been doing for years and years and years, we're going to get the same results that we've been getting for years and years and years. So I'm not advocating voting for Trump. I'm not advocating voting for Biden. Uh, 
I believe you can vote for whoever you want to vote for, but I believe that if we as a community truly want our needs and our issues that are specific to our community to be addressed, we need to make sure that our people, our party that we have clung to and attached ourselves to know that we are going to hold them accountable. Either you are committed, you go on record saying this is what you are going to do day one when you get in office. The same way that Trump did, he when he was running, he told his base, his supporters, day one, when I get in office, I'm going to put tariffs on China. I'm going to do this. I'm going to ban Muslims. I'm, and he did it. And that's why his base is so loyal to him. Whether you think that what he did is right or wrong, he told his, his supporters, I hear what you want. I'm going to do it. And he told them that he, he specifically was there for them. That's why Trump followers are so loyal. I apologize for clearing my nose. It probably sounded gross. So what? Sue me. <laughs> but uh, anytime I hear Trump, I get all mucusy and nasty. But I, I think that is uh, something that we need to address further. I'm, I'm sure this will come up again later on. I'd like to know what y'all think about it. Uh... I'm going a little bit longer than what I intended to. My goal was for 30 minutes. Maybe I'll edit this out later. Maybe I don't know how to do it. Maybe I'm learning as I go along. That's the whole point of this podcast. I'll get better at doing this as I go. I promise I'll get better later. Uh, but I do want to talk about something real quick. My hip hop subject, my top five underrated MCs. We got uh, Method Man, who I think is so underrated as an MC. People know his big hits, Ice Cream, Method Man, and all that. But Method Man has been holding it down since the 90s. He's been holding it down for over three decades. There's not a lot of people in hip hop who can have the longevity that he had, still have the popularity that he has. He's transitioned from act from rapping to acting and been successful in both fields. He's underrated as an actor. He's underrated as a rapper. This man has won Grammys, platinum records, gold records. He is the total package. Method Man, I want to give you your flowers. Uh, Mr. Cool James, ladies love him. LL Cool J, James Todd Smith, the OG, the God. Uh, definitely want to make sure that we give Method Man his props, and we also want to give LL Cool J his props because LL has been doing it since doing it, been doing it, and doing it well. <laughs> LL has been that dude from I Need a Girl, from I Need a Round Away Girl, doing it, going back to Cali, radio. Mama said, knock you out. Something like a phenomenon. Uh, <laughs> but still, LL Cool J has been doing it since niggas was wearing tight leather jeans, tight leather pants and Adidas. And he has never been corny. He's never been looked at as a sellout. He is also transitioning into acting and been killing it in the acting game for so long. More people may know him now as an actor than they do as a rapper. So much love and respect to LL. I definitely want to give you your flowers. Uh, next on this list is the boy Jump Off Joe Budden, <laughs> Mr. Controversy, Mr. Spotify Beef himself. Uh, Joe Budden is definitely an underrated MC, longevity. Uh, he's been around since 2001, 2002, 2003, somewhere in there. I know I was just coming out of high school, going into college when he came out with Jump Off. I still listen to that song now when I want to get pumped up in 2020. Uh, I think that his career has been hurt by a lot of the issues that he's had, 
but the the quality of music has never suffered as a result. He's always been a personal favorite of mine. Mood music, the whole mood music series. I mean, come on. I can't think of too many artists who had a better mixtape run than Joe Budden did with the Mood Music series. Uh, 10 Minutes, his song 10 Minutes is probably one of the, the songs that touched me more than anything. It's not the best song that he ever came out with, but just the emotion, the feeling that it make you feel and you know experience. Not a lot of artists are able to do that. And the stories that he can tell, three sides to a story, come on man, Slaughterhouse, Man, y'all gotta y'all gotta give Joe Budden his props. And then from him to take it from just rapping to his quote unquote retirement. Nobody believes you're retired, Joe. You're gonna come back out eventually, hopefully. I pray that you do. But if you don't, we still love you. He's transitioned to a media mogul from his podcast. He was one of the first rappers doing the internet thing. He was blogging and vlogging before it was even a thing. He <laughs> missed the love in hip hop. Joe Budden has been on or ahead of every wave for the past 20 something years. And I don't think that people really give him the credit that he deserves as not just an artist, but as a businessman, as a, a hip hop pioneer, as a legend. I wanna give Joe Budden some flowers. Uh, and not just Joe Budden, I was kind of torn for who I was gonna put in that spot. I, I was, <laughs> it seemed like every person in that spot was a Slaughterhouse member, whether it was Royce, Crooked, Joel, Yawa, all of them boys, uh, but I feel like I wanted to give this to Joe just for the, the theme that I've had with the others of that longevity, which Joe definitely has had, and also the ability to cross over from a, of his first phase of his career to a second phase of his career. Uh, Killer Mike is the next person that I wanted to, to give a shout out to. Killer Mike, uh, most of us first heard Killer Mike well, I can't speak for anybody else, but I first heard Killer Mike on The Whole World with Outkast. He killed it. And I wasn't really checking for him like that afterwards. I heard him on a couple other tracks. He was always, you know, killing it when I heard it, but I never really listened to him like that until he came out with Run the Jewels. Him and LP are killing the game. Old school hip hop with new school flavor, never corny. Uh, and he's also transitioned from hip hop to different platforms and different venues and avenues. He's a well-known businessman. His uh, trigger warning show on Netflix was very, very well done, very thought out, very well uh, presented, and very good topics. And I think that Killer Mike, for the work that he does for social justice and for black people, on top of being a dope MC, definitely deserves to get some flowers. And then the last person I wanted to talk about on this list uh, I think that we're going to be talking about soon, again, in the current sense, but right now I'm going to put him in the underrated category, is Busta Bus, Busta Rhymes, the God, uh, Busta Rhymes been around as long as I can remember, put your hands on my eyes, can see, woo-ha, come on man, Busta Rhymes got hits, hits, and more hits, not a lot of people got the energy, the longevity, the, the, the swag that Busta Rhymes has had, he's never been the biggest name but he's always been among the top and he's always been that dude. You get Busta Rhymes on a feature, he's gonna make you look bad on your own song. And I think that's why a lot of people don't put him out there like that because they know that he's gonna outshine them on their track. So Busta Rhymes, for everything that Busta Rhymes has done from 1990 whatever to today, about to be coming out with an album 
that everybody is buzzing about, talking about is going to be one of the greatest albums of all times. I hope nobody, you know, puts the bad mouth on it by hyping it up too much. But Busta Rhymes is definitely an underrated lyricist, the MC, a hip hop pioneer, a legend, one of the goats, one of the gods. Busta Rhymes, I give you flowers, sir. And I think that that about does it for episode zero of the I'll Get Better Later, I Promise podcast. Hopefully I've entertained you. Hopefully I've informed you. Hopefully I haven't offended you too much. Hopefully you come back and check me out on the next one. And I promise it'll be better. If not, the next one will be better than that. But I thank y'all for joining in. Those who did, those who didn't, you missed out. This is greatness in the making. You're going to remember when you heard this the first time. Brah.